0: Hey guys, John Pollamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, April 2nd, and this is the weekly market update. The disclaimer anything that you see or hear on this video or podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I am not a financial advisor, I'm just a guy on the internet. I am not allowed by law to give you financial advice. Please take this into consideration do your own due diligence, do your own research, do your own work. It's your money, it's your responsibility. So before I get started uh, for this week's uh, investment or weekly market update, just wanted to talk about last week, it went over pretty good. Um, We had a few people that uh, had some interesting comments. You know, I've been doing this a long time now, so I know that uh, you're not going to uh, please everybody with comments, but uh, I'm trying to what I'm doing is giving the information uh, in a in a way that I'm seeing it, and uh, that's going to be in contrast to how many people see things. But uh, you know, I, I just want to uh, say that uh, that's what we have to do, right? We have to look at things, you know, try to look at things as much factually and in reality as we can. Um, the other thing I'd like to point out is that the uh, first quarter of 2022 is over and the actionable intelligence alert newsletter uh, quarterly performance was up 25% in the quarter versus a loss of 5% for the S&P 500. So again, we've outperformed the S&P 500. Um, this has been fairly consistent uh, since we started tracking about two years ago, and the uh, I think it's indicative of the continued transition from financial assets to hard assets. Uh, but um, pretty pleased with that uh, with that uh, performance. But not uh, resting on our laurels, not taking it for granted, and certainly understanding that uh, past performance is no indication of future returns. So we're in very volatile markets uh, where we can be up. You know, 20, 25% in a quarter and then be down the next quarter. We've seen that in the past too. So these markets are very volatile, these resource markets. There's a lot of money, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of news coming and going. And uh, so we have to stay vigilant and stay on top of our game. If you are interested in a subscription to the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter, you can look in the show notes below and uh, there's a link to the Uh, That will allow you to subscribe. Um, If you are interested in just sampling our work, I offer a Patreon support. Um, People want to support me monthly. Um, I will give you one stock pick. It seems to be misunderstood by a lot of people. When you sign up for Patreon, you can cancel it at any time. But if you sign up, I will give you the last stock pick that I added to the newsletter as a sample to see give you a flavor of the type of writing, the type of analysis that we do. All right, having said all that and done all the advertising, let's get into this week's report. So this was an interesting map that I saw on Twitter, and I, and I wanted to show everyone this in light of just conversation that we started last week. Um, Obviously, the invasion of Ukraine, if you will, is dominating the news, dominating a lot of discussion. And one of the things that happened after this invasion was that uh, many countries, especially Western Europe and the United States, uh, put uh, tremendous sanctions on Russia, as we know. You will note uh, the rest of the world is not following along with this. And I think this is very, very instructive and very, very critical to understand. You know, I have a feeling that for a while here, probably since the 60s or 70s, 80s, I don't know, you know, we've been running this playbook, uh, well, at least probably since the cold, end of the Cold War, right? We've been running this playbook where, you know, the Atlantis, Atlantic... Uh, sphere here of europe and united states kind of dominated world trade world economics and had a uniparty uh unilateral effect right the united states could pretty much dictate to places like uh, iraq or you know libya all these different places where we could go around and use our economic might um our vastly superior military well allegedly to make other countries do what we want them to do. And so I think that uh, what happened here now recently is this is kind of backfiring. A lot of countries are not gonna go along with the United States and Europe on this. And why are they choosing not to do that? Well, that's because they've now gotten to a size with their economies and, and and their ability or confidence levels because I think they sense weakness in the U.S. and it's definitely weakness in Europe um, to say, you know what? We don't need to go along with you any longer. We can create our own multipolar world. And uh, you folks in the West uh, that are in decline, that uh, we don't share values with. Um, and quite frankly, there's a lot of bad blood that's been built up over the last 30 or 40 years by our um. Quite frankly, bullying around the world or imposing our will around the world. Now that's going to get some people riled up, but this is the facts. The people in yellow have the sanctions on Russia. The rest of the world does not. So it's you know it's Europe, okay? Which uh, is basically, um, you know, this really, to my mind, if you want to deep dive, this really isn't about Ukraine. This is about a lot of this has to do with the United. States. This is the, this is where everything is at this is where this is what the United States is afraid of they're afraid of a of a economic zone that spans from the Atlantic shores of Europe all the way across Eurasia and down into Asia and then they would be isolated here the United States would be so they've always been afraid of that them and the British have been afraid so this this has a lot to do with it it's like okay um Europe you've become dependent on Russian commodities uh, we want you to sanction Russia over this because we're trying to tear you away from this dependency okay and it's this 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 stuff goes back for for decades this thinking okay and centuries even you know the the wars that they had in Crimea down here that the British had you know back in the day you know because this is where the majority of the world's population lives this is where the economic growth is this is where the positive demography is right? And this is where a lot of the resources are. And so I think we're running a playbook that's not really worked. It's not has worked in the past. That's not working very well now. And so you have the United States going around telling countries like China that they're going to sanction them if they don't go along with this India. And these people are just flipping their, their Saudi Arabia. I mean, when is the last time you have heard of the leader of Saudi Arabia who we have had a 50-year relationship with, petrodollar relationship, co-defense treaties with, where Biden calls over there and they don't take his phone call. Or Boris Johnson gets on a plane and goes to the UAE and they receive him and then he leaves with no guarantees. Or Herbeck from Germany goes to Qatar and thinks he has a gas deal and comes back and he doesn't. So what I think you're seeing is basically this unipolar um, world that was basically, I don't want to say ruled, but kind of kind of hegemon of the United States and, and, and Europe is, is the cracks are appearing and um, the world is changing. And <clears throat> I don't think a lot of people have caught on to this. Um, this deal that's going on here in Ukraine is a lot bigger than just uh, what's going on here with Russia and Ukraine? This has implications for the future of the world, and uh, I just—I don't have the quote in front of me, but Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of uh, Russia, was in China recently. I think it was in China, either China or India, and he made comments similar to that—that that we're going to, you know, the, the people of basically these other countries around the world, emerging countries they've basically had enough of being told what to do by europe and the united states and this unipolar what they consider unfair arrangement is now going to become a multi, multipolar uh more fair arrangement is the words he used now you can take that any way you'd like you can disagree with him you can say that that you don't that that's not the way things are but that's the intention none of these countries are going to be pushed around anymore you're not going to have weak feckless Americans like Tony Blinken I mean these people this is a perfect administration for this to happen for this downfall to happen you don't have any real diplomats in Europe you have no statesmen you have weak feckless people they're not I don't even want to con- call them men going to these places and trying to you know, run the playbook that's worked for 50 years and they, and they don't have the gravitas. They don't have the skill sets and they don't have. It's like Mo Green when when uh, Michael Corleone went to, you know, Las Vegas, you know, and Mo said, so you, you know, the Corleone family doesn't have that kind of muscle anymore. And that's what people are saying. And they're pushing back. And what's the U.S. going to do sanction everybody in the world? I mean, you already have, you know, this this has been under creation, Uh, the Shanghai Cooperative, the Belt and Road Initiative, all these things, the United States is over here isolated by itself. And that's what they're afraid of, a common economic block that encompasses Eurasia. And they would be frozen out. So I suspect that has a lot to do with it. And you're not gonna sanction India, you're not gonna sanction China, the Middle East with the oil, they're, they're cutting deals with China, they're not returning phone calls. This is not a good look. This is not a good look. Um, doesn't bode well for the future of Europe and the United States in, in this new uh, world order. The new world order that everybody th- was worried about, where Klaus Schwab was going to have you eating crickets and they were going to be uh, using the central bank digital currencies and they were going to, uh, you know, do all their little things, uh, looks like it might have got short-circuited by basically, you know, uh, the rest of the world. You know, the 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 time where 13% of the world's population told the other 87% of the world's population what to do is pretty much coming to an end. That's basically the the basis of this slide. And so this is very instructive. Now, that doesn't mean the US and Europe are going to go away. It doesn't mean that this is going to be a struggle. We're going to have more issues. We probably will, because when empires are in decline, they usually uh, don't go quietly. So we'll have to see. It's the usual suspects, though, right? United States, Europe, Australia, Japan, New Zealand, You know. This whole old money, if you will, the old money is now being uh, is, is is in decline, and then emergent, your you know Eurasia, it, 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 you know, and and Europe had a chance. You know, the Russians reached out for many years, trying to be European, trying to integrate with Europe. Okay, and they were rebuffed constantly, and so the die's been cast. And it was you know, you know, kicking them out of the Swift deal and all these things. I mean, this was already kind of realized you know, 10 years ago, and Russia and China and these other places were working towards this anyways. And, you know, we could have had a, you know, different view on this, but we chose not to. And so here's where we're at. But this is very instructive. Um, 13% of the world's population is basically out to lunch, and the 87% are, are, are realigning. And so, you know, the sanctions on the Central Bank of of Russia that were made were intended to you know cause a financial crisis in Russia drive the ruble to you know 150 or 200 to 1 cause hyperinflation in Russia and ostensibly cause the russian people to turn against their leadership and what you see is after an initial spike up to about 120 you see that the uh, ruble is now strengthening against the dollar and it's not quite back to the pre-war levels but it's getting there And so you have this uh, situation that came out the other with in the last few days, since we've talked last, where basically the Russians have said, you know, in order started with natural gas, but I suspect it'll be for everything eventually. Um, If you want natural gas Europe, because, you know, you you take depending on what country 40 to 90 to 100 percent of your natural gas comes from Russia in Europe. They they made those uh, decisions a long time ago to to to. Um, joined themselves to Russian natural gas because it was easy and cheap and reliable. Um, now you're going to pay in rubles. You've you've went along with this. I mean, now you're seeing the, you know, what else is the U.S. going to do? They went nuclear and did the central bank and SWIFT thing and all these sanctions. So what else have they got left? And so now you're getting the reverse, and uh, this is uh, you know, you're creating a demand for rubles now. And they're in a situation where Europe is, in my view, at least, and a lot of other other analysts, it's funny to watch the Europeans. You know, they stand up there, uh, these pygmies, these these people are not state statesmen or leaders, and stand there and say, we're not going to do this, or these are broken contracts, and, you know, we won't stand for this. Okay, then no gas, or no, no rubles, then no gas. It's that simple. And what this has a tendency to do, or will do, is cause a demand, an artificial demand for rubles, and making it more of a hard currency. So this is this is this is going to work uh, to Russia's advantage. You've cut off imports to Russia, so they're not going to import all this stuff from Europe anymore or the rest of the world. Yes, it will cause some problems like airplane parts and stuff like that, but the current a trade the, the 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 trade account of Russia is going to go massively positive. They're going to continue to export all these resources to the rest of the world and to Europe. Europe is not going to go without these resources. Otherwise, they will very rapidly collapse economically. That's just, there's no way with the volumes and the numbers that, uh, you know, they can just replace these these things, this energy that they need. I mean, Energy, like I've said before, inculcates everything that we do or, or, or all the things that we have. You know, you had the the chairman of BASF, the world's largest chemical company based in Germany that basically said if the gas stops from Russia, it's going to be a calamity for German industry. So do you actually think that that's going to happen? No, they're going to buy the rubles and and, and, and they will set it up and they will do that. That's what they will do. I mean, these people are, you know, bound and determined, I guess, to keep on this bullet train, like I described it last week, of this virtue signaling and not looking at reality. Again, it doesn't matter if you like reality. The reality is is that Europe made decisions decades ago to tie themselves to Russia's energy, okay? And now you want to get off that in a week or two? That's not how it works. It's not going to work like that. You can do it, but these governments will be overthrown in two weeks and the new governments will be put in the place that will deal with Russia. That's just the way it is. You know, I've said this before, you can ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of reality. Do you really, you know, do you really think that German industry and all these business interests are not applying massive pressure to their governments? Is Ursula von der Leyen, this uh, weirdo that's an unelected bureaucrat that's a charge of the European Commission, is she really going to be allowed to just take, you know, accelerate? We're going to fly through the middle of the sun. We're just going to accelerate and fly right through. No, it's not going to happen. They're going to buy the rubles, and uh, you know, they're going to uh, strengthen Russia's economic position against their own. You know, no ticky, no laundry. And so here it is, right? Germany prepares to ration gas over ruble payments. standoff with Russia. The German government has taken the first formal steps towards gas rationing as it braces for potential halt in deliveries due to a dispute over payments. You know, it's interesting. They were citing, I'll show another link in here about contracts. Uh, There's, how does this work? You just break the contracts the way you want to, you know, when it's convenient for the European Union. I mean, this, I've, I've explained this to people before, so that maybe I'll have to explain it again. The Russians consider this an existential threat to their existence. You would be wise to take that into consideration. That's how they look at it. And it really didn't help last week when the videos came out of the Ukrainians torturing Russian POWs, shooting them in the kneecaps and letting them bleed to death. All that's done is stiffen the spine of the Russian people. Um, It's just not good optics. It's, you know, and so, you know, I was watching another clip on Twitter. I didn't have time to put it on this thing, but it was some talk show, some soy boy interviewing some short haired woman. I don't even know who she was. Your typical look like a typical. I don't know. What she was and she said you know at the end of their little talk she said oh but one more thing we can we can really you know you can really stick it to putin you know take cold showers use less energy by taking cold showers really <laughs> i mean these people are there's something else i mean i don't want to sit here and just make and try to just i mean you want to talk it's like lowering the goal i mean the basketball goal to four feet and I'm just dunking left and right. I mean, I can go on busting these people up for four hours, but uh, you know, it's obvious. Um, do I think that the people in Europe or the people in some of these other countries are just going to what, wh- why are, I don't understand why European people are doing what they're doing over a dispute that has nothing to do with them. And is' even a member state, Ukraine's not even a member state or in NATO. Why are they prepared to pre- commit economic separate coup over this but i don't think they will i think the leaders are being led by the nose by by the u.s because there is no real leadership in europe there is these people are just technocrats put into place everything is run by the european commission unelected people in brussels who take their orders from washington dc it's that simple and that's why and so i think that the economic pain has to increase um sufficiently to cause real changes to governments you know uh We've already seen like Slovakia and Hungary have already said they're going to just go get the rubles and pay because they need the gas. And so I think you could see some real fracturing, possibly. This could be another second or third order effect, you know, fracturing of the EU. You know, do you do you really think I mean, this BASF CEO was saying if they don't get the requisite gas, they have to shut down one of their main facilities, 40 lay off 40,000 people. You don't think those people are going to be pissed off? I mean, they'll be marching in the streets in two weeks, take cold showers. Are you ready for this? So here we go. This is the Jimmy Carter plan. I mean, a lot of you guys are real young. So we had a president called Jimmy Carter before Reagan. And we had a uh, lot of similar things going on with the Middle East. There was uh, Arab-Israeli wars. There was a lot of uh, animus between the Western world. And uh, what was going on in Iran when they had the uh, 1979, when they had the uh, revolution and the Shah of Iran was kicked out and the Ayatollah Khomeini took over. And we had this president, Jimmy Carter. He's still alive. He does Habitat for Humanity. He's like 98 years old. And uh, he wasn't really a bad guy. I mean, he went to the Naval Academy. He was a farmer. And I think he was kind of an honest person, but he didn't fit into Washington, D.C. This guy was out to lunch. And I remember as a kid, when we had an energy crisis you know you had to you had to sit in lines for gas there was there was rationing for gas i remember sitting in lines i remember we were in an energy crisis and prices were very high and i remember this is when i first got into investing i remember a lot of the companies you know when i was uh, doing charting run out to the mailbox and get the wall street journal every day for my dad got home and do my charts and i remember you know new highs every day with these oil and gas stocks and these commodity stocks and uh, it was it really made an impression on me. There were, it wasn't deprivation or anything, but it was kind of very aggravating. Inflation was very high. Um, it was pretty bad. And so Mr. Carter came on and he's, uh, he didn't really have any answers, right? They tried to, uh, the, the Iranians, uh, Revolutionary Guard had, had thrown the Shah out. They had taken over the U.S. Embassy. They had hostages, like 400 U.S. hostages, I believe, something like this. And the military, he had a, a, a military excursion there where they were going to fly in with these helicopters and do this hit and run thing and, and get the hostages. And it was a debacle. They crashed in the desert. A lot of guys got killed. They never even got to the embassy. And so after that, you know, we kind of recon- I mean, We were really politically, economically, socially, were not in a good place. And so this. President Carter, we were in the same spot with like this lady that was talking about don't take cold showers so you can show Putin. He was saying the same thing. He he had a what they called the fireside chat. You could probably look it up on YouTube. And what this guy did was he got in front of the American people and said, you know, instead of you know coming up with real solutions, he uh, he had the, he had a, a, a fire there in the White House in a fireplace. He was sitting next to it. He had a sweater on and he was telling the American people, you know, put. Put on a jacket or a sweater, lower your thermostat, you know, and, um, you know, we have to make sacrifices to get past this energy crisis, when a lot of it had been been caused by the policy failures of the United States meddling in the Middle East where all the energy was. And uh, instead of, you know, following a policy of, you know, trying to have diplomatic relations with people and trade with them and try to be you know stand up people Uh, instead we were going to overthrow their governments install dictators and take the resources for ourselves and that doesn't really go over very well for the people that are in the country and that's why the uh, you know uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and the Revolutionary Guard and the current theocracy you have in Iran which has had sanctions on it for 40 years it still exists Iran is not you know it's not in the best place economically but it survives Only people that suffer with the sanctions are the actual people. It just stiffens the spine of people. People are not stupid. They understand what's happening. And this is part of that whole economic hitman thing. Why why do we do this? Why do we overthrow countries, okay, and try to install? Because we want to get in there and strip mine the resources and steal the resources and steal the wealth. That's what this is all about. And if you don't believe me, you can watch a movie about Yugoslavia, the breakup of Yugoslavia. It's called Weight of Chains. It's on YouTube. I'll put a link of it. And it it kind of explains what, what happened in Yugoslavia, you know, how the United States and the European Union were in there meddling and, you know, not showing any real statesmanship or diplomacy or trying to reconcile things, demonization of different groups and the elevation of other groups to get to a political end, which was economically advantageous to the United States and to the European Union. Okay, and so that's that's just how things work and people don't like that and now like i said what i pointed out in the first slide the rest of the world's now of sufficient economic and military power where it doesn't have to go along with this plan anymore and so here we go we got the jimmy carter plan this is what the dutch government's going to do the dutch government not activating gas crisis plan but will launch campaign asking public to use less gas okay the jimmy carter plan put more sweaters on take cold showers OK, and maybe take a layoff or only go to work two or three times a week because any industry that you still have in the, in Europe is going to be decimated when it doesn't have any energy inputs. Or you can pay the pay the rubles. That's your choice. And so here's Italy's prime minister, Mario Draghi, another economic hitman, the former ECB chairman. He, they've made a statement, this was earlier in the week. They're slowly but surely coming around to reality, whether they like it or not. EU leaders agree that if Russia insists on paying for energy supply in rubles, it is a breach of contract. And, you know, if you have life giving energy (laughs) and you don't want to, you know, you don't think seizing central bank assets, which has never been done before, isn't a breach of international law and contracts. I'm sorry, but it is whether people like it or not. And you can justify it any way you'd like. Okay. So, you know, so the plan is, you know, I've heard all this chicken scratching and, you know, big talk from the European Union this week and the United States. We're going to build all these LNG terminals and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. That's 10 years. That's five to 10 years. And where are you going to get the where are you going to get the gas? LNG cargoes are, you know, get bid up. So you're going to be bidding against Asia for that gas. And so, you know, they're going to show the Russians. All Russians going to do is build the power of Siberia too and send a, all that gas to, to, to Asia. I mean, yes, the Russians are, are, are going to be punished for this. They're going to suffer economically. But who's going to suffer more? It's boomeranging back on the European Union. And I, I suggest to you that this continues. And this is, the, this is the kind of leaders, EU leaders is what they said. You don't have a choice. You have to buy the gas or you're going to be hanging from a lamppost in a month. People are not gonna stand for the collapse of the economic, uh, their, their, their standard of living over something they really don't care about. Watch how fast the t-shirts come off and the Twitter, uh, Ukrainian flags in the Twitter uh, profiles come down. When you have to take cold showers, you don't have enough to eat and you don't have a job, but it's a breach of contract. What are you gonna do? Fly to Moscow and get a judgment against the Russians? I mean, these people, what I'm trying to demonstrate to you is these people are not serious people, okay? Serious, you, you have no choice. Now, if you want to, you know, uh, maybe you can build more windmills and solar panels. Maybe that'll solve it. I don't know, but this is not real leadership. So here we go. You know, um, I just like to point these things. I would say so Norway trillion dollar wealth fund sold the last of its investments in fossil fuel companies. Norway's decision was an economic one, but still a step in the right direction on climate change. Norway's trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund has sold the last of its portfolio in a major step away from the country's reliance on its petroleum industry. The only reason that Norway has a trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund is because of the bounty of hydrocarbons it's extracted from the North Sea over the last 50 years. So I would suggest to you that this is another, you know, inflection point, you know, of we're going to have higher energy prices. And, you know, if Norway doesn't want these stocks, I'll take them. Um, they, they, they have lost money on their energy investments. Um, is basically why they sold. It. it says right here, you know, the decision to nix the funds portfolio of oil and gas companies worth $6 billion. Was an economic one. In 2020, the fund reported losses of 10 billion in oil and gas shares that were worth 40 billion at the start of the year. Yeah, but it's all recovering now. This this is why it's cyclical. And uh, you know, this this should tell you something. This is like when Gordon Brown, who was the chancellor of the exchange, exchanger, which is basically like the Treasury Secretary in the UK, he sold the um, or like the Federal Reserve Chairman or something like that, uh, in the UK, he sold all the UK's gold. At about two fifty to two sixty an ounce, this is like twenty years ago. It was it marked the bottom for the gold price. So, um, you know, this is I find this very interesting, and this is this is the West. This is the leadership of the West. This is a another group of people who hate themselves, hate their legacy, hate hate their history, hate their languages, just want to be. You know, I don't know what they want to do. They just want to dry up and blow away and import. You know. Um, people from the developing world to displace themselves and make, you know, poor decisions and compound them by making more poor decisions. I'm not like that. I don't believe in that. I'm not ashamed of my background or where I came from or the history of my people. It's very important to me. I mean, there's quite a few people out there. I find it striking. This is getting off on a tangent. There are a lot of people in the world or even mostly in the West. They don't know anything about their ancestry. They don't care. They're ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. It is what it is, okay? And it's important. And it's important to learn from that history and be appreciative of it because I'm only here because of the people that came before me. Now, I'm not into ancestor worship, but uh, it is important for me to understand where these people came from. I took one of those 23andMe, uh, got my genetic profile, and I was shocked at some of the things I saw in there that I never suspected. And it had me delving into history of things. You know, I have a descendants of, you know, different places where I never thought of. And it's, it, was, it was very interesting. But, you know, the whole West hates itself. It's in decline. It's morally bankrupt. Um, you know, and this is just another thing. I mean, the whole reason that you have a trillion dollar wealth fund is because of the bounty of the North Sea of oil and gas. It's unbelievable. So you want to throw it under the bus. Okay. So... Uh, this is another article that uh, Eric Nuttall wrote for the Financial Post. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, basically, the world, you know, goes on. and says here the, the world has plunged into a deep, enduring energy crisis that may threaten the economy for years to come. Read more in my twentieth column for the Financial Post. This is, you know, it's a pretty good article. It doesn't really sh- uh, say anything new about what we haven't already talked about, which is the fact that you know we have underinvested for. You know, a good part of for, good portion of time for energy, and uh, you know we're now on the you know we are in an energy crisis, and it's been exacerbated, especially for the Europeans, uh, based on their overreaction, in my view, to what's uh, happening in Ukraine, of which they were very partial, they were greatly involved with causing by the way but you know i don't like to talk about this too much because people it offends people right people think that history of this whole thing started in you know february 24th when the russians rolled across the border it didn't and i really don't want to talk about it it, it it's uh, it doesn't really matter again how it started who started it whatever it just matters what's going to happen going forward and we have to understand that and uh, react to it i mean i'm happy to uh discuss Uh, my view of the history of the conflict, but most people aren't interested. You've actually, people have their own views. Uh, But like I said, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of reality. And uh, that's what we're looking for. What are the decisions being made by policymakers now, Uh, business interests, um, political leaders, and the facts on the ground as best as we can discern them that will give us a ability to, game the probabilities of what the outcomes will be and then position capital accordingly. That's the whole purpose of investing and speculating. And if you choose to look at things in an incorrect way and you put capital to, uh, into play and you have misjudged the probabilities, then you are going to knock yourself out of the game. That's just that simple. And so I want to talk about this. Uh, We now have an inverted yield curve for the United States. Uh, Every other time that that happens, we have a recession. Uh, So we're heading for a recession here. This is what I've been talking about. We now have an inverted yield curve. uh, Every single time, I think except for once, um, we haven't had a recession. So get ready for it. I don't know the timing. Typically, when these rate raising cycles happen, it takes a year or two for this inverted yield curve to cause a recession this yield curve inversion happened fairly quickly and so you know i don't know what's going to happen i will say that you know if we when the recession could start how bad it will be what will be the effects there's so many dynamics but uh, i'm not panicking i have other tools this is the only tool i use to look at things i still think we're going to have one last hurrah and you know this is in resources, that's why I'm not selling yet. Uh, my other indicators that I use are not, you know, showing me that we have an issue yet, but we are, this is definitely uh, storm clouds on the horizon. And, um, you know, this needs to be looked at. And so what you were gonna see now in the ensuing weeks, you know, is a lot of people come out and say, and I've heard this before, even before when we had previous inversions of the yield curve, I recall, they're going to tell you why it's different this time and it doesn't really matter. It matters, okay? We are going to, we're heading for a recession. I'm showing you more data. It's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be a very pleasant experience for people. Um, this is, it could be a stagflationary type situation where we have high prices for things and yet economic activity is getting slammed. So here's another thing, right? Consumer confidence is crashing. This is uh, some of the lowest you know, look at look at where we were before the previous election. Look what's happened since we've had this um, basically person in power uh, administration that is basically full of people that, that I don't think know what they're doing. And th- every decision that's made is the wrong one. And it's not instilling confidence in people. So you have inflation out of control, the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle, you know, uh, COVID was bungled. Um, the supply chain issues, all of these things. You know, now you have very high gasoline prices. You just had the president come out today. They're gonna release a million barrels a day from the SPR for the next 180 days. I mean, this is nothing but a political ploy to try to get oil prices down and get gasoline prices down before this midterm election. And as we have shown in the past, I'm not gonna waste time on it. It's not going to work. This doesn't work you know, the SPR is there for emergencies, not to be used and manipulated for political purposes because you're, you're, at, the, you're at, you know, 38% approval rating. And, uh, but, you know, this is what politicians do, right? They're focused on one thing, getting themselves reelected so they can continue to steal money and wield power. So everything's possible. And uh, so it, it's not going to work. And uh, what happens if we get into a real crisis after we, you know, whittle that uh, strategic petroleum reserve down, and then we get into a situation where we do have an embargo, or we do have some situation break out somewhere else in the world, and then we don't have this reserve that we can, you know, call on to help uh, alleviate some of the issues. This is strategic petroleum reserve, not the Joe Biden re-election reserve. But this is, like I said, the way things are. So, I want to shift a little bit to copper or some other things. You know, this is, uh, I've talked about this before, but uh, this is again Freeport CEO Adkerson. He's talking about, uh, he was at a conference again talking about uh, recently about copper supplies going forward. And what's he say? Quote, even if the price of copper were to double overnight, it would still be years before we had significant incremental production coming on. The market is going to need the copper. Far faster than companies like ours can produce it. Unquote, and that's why copper, you know, it's holding in pretty good. That's one of the one of the indicators I look at is the copper price because it's involved in so many industrial products and construction for plumbing and wiring. And so, when you have a copper price that is uh, elevated, that's uh, usually fairly good indicator of industrial and economic. Um, Uh, Use and uh, expansion. And so, you know, we've seen almost taking out the new highs, but it looks like it may be entering a rounding top. I'm not sure. I'm not ready to call it yet, but uh, we've had a pretty good run. You know, one of the things I'm worried about is we could have this decade, I believe, is going to be very good for resources, but there's a chance we could have a deflationary scare or a, um, you know, economic debacle where we have a big pullback in these markets. Uh, as we have, you know, over the next 10 years we're going to have a couple of recessions and what I suspect will happen is, you know, that will further exacerbate the supply demand issues as the money printing gets turned back on and they try to print their way out of these uh, recessions. Uh, then you're going you know, to see a lot of volatility, I think. And you're going to see subsequent new highs. So you have to be, it's not buy and hold for the next 10 years. It's, I, you know, I think that's probably what we're going to see. We're going to see periods of deflationary scares where the prices of resources come in. Not all of them, some will go up. I mean, you're going to have a food crisis regardless of what happens with the economy and people have to eat. So I think food prices go up over the next year to 18 months, two years, without a doubt. Okay, regardless of what happens in the overall economy, but there's no, you know, with the economy falling apart, inverted yield curve now, and the Federal Reserve raising rates into a oncoming recession, um, you know, we could see, you know, we could see a uh, issues with, uh, you know, like oil, oil uh, price come down, copper price, things like that as industrial demand slows down. But it's, it's, it's too, too far out and too hard to predict right now, we just have to, like I said, Uh, receive in the information and make our our decisions based on that. But this is a structural issue that's not going to get resolved anytime soon. Tremendous investment needs to happen. And this is why like, you know, analysts like Goring and Rosenzweig have said that they expect the copper price to go over $10 a pound this decade, you know, and you're going to need an incentive price. What is the incentive price to get the billions of dollars of investment you need to come in and find and develop new copper mines, uh, I don't know. Evidently, it's higher than it is now. And so here's <laughs> Justin Trudeau. He, you know, I keep putting these vignettes up, these little things that I find about, you know, you know, I have just about all the leaders in the world have said that we're going to have a food, uh, food shortages. Okay, and. Um, I hope you were listening. I hope you're doing something about it in your own family, thinking about what you're gonna do, because the prices price of food's gonna go up in the West dramatically. We probably won't have food shortages, but we'll have higher prices. There will be people that are on the lower economic rung that will probably have uh, some food issues and we'll have to deal with that and we'll have to help those people. But there's going to be people around the rest of the world that starve to death. There's gonna be millions of people that starve to death in the next couple of years, millions over two breakaway publics on the border of Ukraine and Russia. Think about it. And so here's where we have, Mr. Trudeau says, uh, breaking news, Canadian prime minister is warning of impending tough times, including food shortages. So, you know, here we go. Uh, I'm sure he has the answers to solve it. You know, whenever Klaus Schwab, Schwab, Schwab tells him he'll do. So um, I expect, uh, you know, as the West, prominence and hegemon recedes, you're going to see more autocratic, more clampdowns on freedom, more clampdowns on the ability to communicate, um, passing ridiculous laws uh, that you can't say certain things. I I, I suspect that's what we're going to see, because that's what these people do. That's what tyrants do. That's what autocrats do, because this thing's going to get out of control. And uh, I suspect that um, you're going to, like I said before, you're going to have basically right now unforecastable Economic, social, and political upheaval, and so here we go. You know, um, worst Chinese wheat crop in history. Uh, this was a uh, there was an article here at Bloomberg. Basically, because of too much rain, the Chinese had too much rain. Uh, so, worst Chinese wheat crop in history adds gravity to growing world food crisis. Um, this is what happens, though, right? When it rains, it pours. Not to uh, be, have be a wise guy or try to have a pun. But, you know, we've self-imposed, we already had issues because of the natural gas crisis before this invasion. Now the self-imposed issues that the Europeans are doing, causing fertilizer shortages, uh, because nobody wants to, you know, the Russians really do supply all the things, quite a few things that the world needs in quantities that are relevant. And when you shut them off, uh, you have to get it somewhere. And If you don't, you know, you're going to suffer. And. It's kind of like, uh, I forget what they call it, that uh, law, I forget. Uh, Anyhow, when something goes wrong, you know, when something's already going wrong, then other things go wrong. Murphy's law, Murphy's law. So more things go wrong to exacerbate the situation, and here's what we have. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Like I said, I've been talking about uh, um, fertilizer stocks. Uh, I think, you know, if you want to get into a stock, it's a good stock. It's a limited partnership. Um, CVR partners, they built, they have a nitrogen, two nitrogen fertilizer plants here in the U S uh, nitrogen prices, ammonia prices are through the roof, urea prices. You might want to look at that. It is a limited partnership. I'm going to give that name away for free. That's something that I think is going to go tremendously higher. goes for about $130 a share. It's got a tremendous dividend. And with these prices where they are, I mean, they're just minting money right now. That's a stock that could easily double or triple from its current, uh, level, um, it's kind of hard though, to find some, um, real uh, agricultural names to really take advantage of this. But, uh, I think, uh, the fertilizer stocks, uh, have been very good. I, I've had a couple of my portfolio that I bought uh, over a year ago when we, uh, thought that we were going to have issues unrelated to what's going on currently that just made the situation worse. So, uh, they've done very well for us, but I think there's still upside there. Uh, this is the last slide. So this is the LME, London Metals Exchange. Bans the placement of Russian metals into storage. You know, London Metals Exchange is a commodity exchange. Uh, producers and users of metals uh, use it as a clearinghouse. You can hedge. You can, you know, futures exchange. And so, typically, I don't know exactly. I'm not an expert on how all this works, but uh, this is just more friction being introduced into the system, right? The London, you know, the ability, the way commerce was working before, and when you introduce friction, or you introduce uh, barriers, um, people will still get around them, but it's more costly, right, just adds to the cost and time and aggravation. And uh, that's called friction in uh, in economics, and uh, creates uh, creates that's not efficient, certainly not deflationary, it's inflationary. So what's the deal? The London Metals Exchange has suspended the placement of Russian branded base metals in its UK warehouses due to the UK government's 35% additional duties on Russian base metal imports, it said in an April 1 member notice. The LME says that these Russian base metals could not be put in its warehouses unless it could be proved that the exportation date from Russia was before March 25th. The suspensions were necessary, quote, in order to minimize the risk of any such price dislocation and, in turn, any possible market disruption and disorderly market conditions as a consequence of the regulations, unquote. So, uh, like I said, uh, I don't know the full effect of this. It's the same thing. You know, the Japanese now have said that they're not going to allow gold exports to Japan. Uh, I mean, it's not like the Russians aren't going to be able to export things. There's plenty of, like I said, 13% of the world's population are trying to put these sanctions on. Then You still have 87% of the world's population that isn't. Okay. And so I think that most of this issues are going to boomerang back on the West, who, quite frankly, do not have any real leaders and have not thought this thing through all the way. That's my view. Uh, and like I said, that's going to create opportunities. This is what a speculator does, right? He waits for governments and, 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 and uh, politicians and regulators to make dumb decisions to create dislocations in the free market. And then, you know, we do like Soros says, we look for the premise that is wrong or incorrect and we bet against it. And uh, that's one of the things that we do here. Another thing that we do here is buy things when they're very, very cheap um, and, uh, you know, blown out. But yet have have a ability to go from, uh terrible to less bad. You know, the difference, as I stated before, of something going from terrible to less bad can be three, four, five hundred percent returns. It doesn't have to go back to normal, it just has to go from you know the perception of being terrible to less bad. And that can result in a big um uh reassessment and perception, and money flows into it then and causes a re uh revaluation. All right, guys, that's it for this week. I hope you got something out of this video. Appreciate the feedback. The channel continues to grow. Um, I don't try to make videos just to be provocative. These are my views. I'm just a guy on the internet. People get exercised because a guy on the internet says something. I mean, there's people that I've seen on the internet that I've watched their videos and I didn't really care for their opinions. I don't watch their videos anymore. It's that's what I do. Um, I don't know. I'm an adult. Some people, I don't know maybe haven't progressed past that point in their development i don't know uh if i don't like something i don't go on there and complain to the person that i don't even know uh but you know that's how some people you know we have to be it's the same thing that we saw during the pandemic and we've seen a different other crisis points people become emotionally invested in these things and i kind of agree you know i think it's a psychological defense you know most people can't really run their what i've seen quite if i won't say most but Quite a few people can't even run their own life. Um, They have chaotic lives. They're not really making progress. They're weird, whatever. They don't have any money. They don't really have a career. They don't really have anything going for them. And so instead of like, you know, looking in a mirror and saying, what am I doing wrong so I can get myself on track? They look to things outside of them that can give them meaning, you know, and they glom on, you know, to climate change. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to get involved in that. Or I'm going to get involved in BLM or I'm going to get involved in something that's outside of them. So they don't have to focus on their individual status as a loser. And, uh, and I think that's what happens with a lot of these things, climate change, this thing deal with the, you know, whatever, it's just something, you know, so I don't have to look, you know, look at myself why I'm overweight, or I'm not where I want to be in life, or I don't make enough money or no one loves me or whatever the problem is. Now, while I have $200 in my checking account and I have no prospects, you know, you have to fix yourself before you can fix the world. That's that's kind of been my view. So, anyway, a little bit of uh, of uh, dime store uh, beer beer uh, joint uh, psychology there at the end. Appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you next week.